Has God ever changed or altered the plans of your life? I'm Chad Roberts, and I'm so glad you're listening to Awaken to Grace today, because we are in Matthew chapter 1, and we are looking at how Joseph responded when his fiance, the woman he was betrothed to, Mary, breaks the news to him that she is pregnant. And you know, according to the scriptures, Joseph didn't believe a word of it because the Bible says that he resolved to divorce her quietly. We're going to break all this down today. And what we are going to see is how Joseph responded when God literally changed the plans of his life. And you know, friends, times that God changes the plans of our life, well, we can respond just like Joseph. And what we are going to see in today's sermon is the blessing of obedience and how those same blessings can come into our lives today. Well, I'm so glad you're listening to this episode of Awakened to Grace. Well, let's go to Matthew chapter 1. I want to begin today in verse number 18. If you're going to take notes, we're going to break today into four simple parts. Matthew chapter, 18, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, down to verse 25. We're going to break it into four simple parts. Number one, the betrothal. I want to explain to you what a betrothal was and how it is different than what we call in our culture today an engagement period. Number two, I want to show you the betrayal. I want to show you why I believe that Joseph felt utterly betrayed by his fiancée, Mary. Number three, I want to show you the breakup. He resolved in his heart, I'm going to divorce her quietly. Not willing to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. And then number four, lastly, I want to show you the blessing of obedience to God. I want to show you how the story ends, and it ends in quite a beautiful way. Number one, look with me at verse number 18, and I want to talk about the betrothal. Matthew is going to write to a Jewish audience. That's why the first part of Matthew is all about the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And I love to preach through the genealogy of Jesus because Matthew does something extraordinary that was not common in Bible days. In Bible days, women were left out of genealogies and it only lists the fathers. But you know, Matthew, remember he's writing to Jews. He's writing to a Jewish mind. Matthew is gonna include three women in the genealogy of Jesus. He's gonna include Tamar. And what a crazy story Tamar is in the book of Genesis. If you've never read it, it will stun you. And then he mentions Rahab. Anybody remember who Rahab was? A prostitute. Oh, and Tamar prostituted herself as well with her, what would that have been, her father-in-law? And then Ruth. Anybody remember who Ruth was? She was a Moabite. Wasn't even a Jew. And you know what Matthew does? He goes to great pains 
to show the background of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I was sharing with somebody earlier this week. I was telling them, do you know why I do so much family counseling? You know why? Because every single one of us have dysfunction in our family background. You know it? Every one of us. Come on now, right? Every one of us. We got some dysfunction back there, right? And so it is in the Bible. You look at Abraham and the mistakes that he made with Hagar and Ishmael. Oh, my goodness. You look at Isaac and the way he and Rebekah showed favoritism toward Jacob and Esau. We're still seeing the effects of that today in the Middle East. And then you look at Jacob. He was one of the worst fathers in the entire Bible. And you know what, friends? Those are the patriarchs of the faith. And there was so much dysfunction in their family. And you can trace the dysfunction all the way through the scriptures. Even into Jesus, into his genealogy. Isn't that fascinating? Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth. Oh, my goodness. You know, you know what it just, you know what it echoes? and You know what kind of punctuation, what kind of exclamation it, point, it puts is that Christ came to a broken and a sin-filled world. And Christ came to redeem sinners. Amen? Amen. How amazing. So the next time you think, man, my family's so messed up, read the genealogy of Jesus. Study through his genealogy. God redeems families. God redeems dysfunction. Can we say amen to that? Okay, now, <coughs> so Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, and he's going to begin in verse number 18 with Joseph's story. Note what it says with me. Now, the birth of the Lord Jesus, of Jesus Christ, I should say, the birth of Jesus Christ happened in this way. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they had come together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, you know what that phrase, before they had come together, means, right? We don't need commentary there, right? Before they had come together, they were betrothed. Now, what does a betrothal mean? In our culture today, when a couple gets engaged, what happens? A man goes to buy an engagement ring. I remember this time period with my life with Sadie, I went to buy her an engagement ring, and I was stunned to find out. Do you know how much you're supposed to spend on an engagement ring? Two months' salary. Who came up? Do you know who came up with that? Jewelers. That's who came up with that. <laughs> Two months salary. Some of you don't know this, but before I pastored, before I became a full-time pastor, I worked at a jewelry store. Now, I was very young. I was only 20, and they didn't let me really play with the expensive stuff, but I would, you know, I'd, I would ring people up, and I remember a guy came in, and they had very, very, very expensive engagement rings. But this young guy comes in one day, man, he's nervous as all get out, and he buys... <laughs> He buys a cubic zirconia. Anybody know what that is? That's a fake ring, right? A fake, fake diamond. And I'm ringing him up, and he's so nervous, and he's going to pop the question, and he's super nervous. And he says, 
what do I do if she asks me if it's real? I said, we'll say, do you even have to ask? And then I said, if she's bad with geography, say, it's from Zirconia. (laughs) I don't know how his conversation turned out. Matter of fact, you may be sitting here today. I don't know. I can't see you. I bet 20 women's going to go have their ring checked. What is this? <laughs> but in our culture, man, I remember the night that I popped the question to Sadie. I was so nervous, and we had even talked about it. Like, I knew she was going to say yes. But I was so nervous getting the ring. I was so nervous. And some of you don't know, but Sadie... I met, we, I was already pastoring here, but she was away at college and her parents began coming here and that's how I met her. And, you know, her mom was like, uh, you know, Sadie, our, our pastor, single. And say, she wanted nothing to do with a pastor at all. But, you know, I won her over and then things got weird and I had to take out a restraining order against her and <laughs> it just, it got really weird. And No, I'm kidding. I'm joking, but. But I remember how nervous, and listen, here's my point. Those of you that remember that time in your life, can you remember how exciting the future looked? Can you imagine the, can you remember the detail of planning that took place? I, I, I think, and see, the Bible days were so different than our day. What we do today is we buy a ring, we pop the question, And then we plan, whether it's short or it's long, whatever. It's the engagement period. And then everything builds to the ceremony. As a pastor, I do lots of weddings. I'm better with funerals, but I do weddings. I'm kidding. Anyway, (coughs) I do lots of weddings. And after I do a ceremony, I have to fill out the paperwork. I have to sign those legal documents. Those are legal documents documents. And, but see, in Bible days, follow me. If you're going to take notes, number one, I want you to note the betrothal. A betrothal was far different than what is in our culture an engagement. So in our culture, you buy a ring, you set a date, you come to the ceremony, you sign the papers, and then the marriage is consummated. Well, in those days, you signed the documents up front. The betrothal period was often a long period. Families would negotiate. Families would make a contract to be married. And see, in Joseph's case, the the would-be husband would have to pay an enormous amount of money to the father of the bride. Why? For two reasons. Number one... (coughs) (coughs) forgive me, (coughs) I'm so sorry. Number one, because that father was going to lose the contribution that the daughter made to his household. She was now going to join a new family unit, and they were going to lose that contribution of having her in the home. But number two, and more importantly, it was to see if this new man could support her financially. And so what it was called in Bible days was a dowry. It was 
what we would consider an engagement ring. It would be a contract. And when you became betrothed, even though there was going to be a long period of time that the bridegroom, he would work on his skill. He would work on whatever his trade was going to be. In Joseph's case, we know he was a carpenter. And the word carpenter there is not just like good with a hammer. He would have been a contractor or almost like an architect. He would have been literally a builder. Most likely, he was part of a large contractor trade guild. And so Joseph would have taken this time to really hone his skills and, and <coughs> he would have prepared a home for his bride. And so the contract would have been signed. A large sum of money would have been paid. We don't know how much money was paid. We know that Joseph and Mary was poor. They were from Nazareth. The only, the only uh, uh, parameters we have in the Bible of a dowry was in the case of Jacob in the Old Testament with Rachel. Remember, Jacob wanted to marry Rachel, and his father-in-law Laban agreed to it, but he made him work. Do you remember how many years he had to work for Rachel? Seven years. Now, how much is an engagement ring in our culture? Two months' salary. Try seven years of what you make. Do that math. That's an expensive engagement ring. That's an expensive wedding. And then do you remember he was duped after those seven years? And he worked an additional seven. Fourteen years he worked for Laban. Now, <coughs> that's an extreme example. I don't think that's how Joseph's case was. But nonetheless, Joseph would have done a great deal of planning. Joseph would have saved a large sum of money. Joseph would have paid a dowry. And Joseph, who was a good man of Nazareth, is marrying the prettiest and the best girl in the youth group. Well, that's not true. I made that up. But no doubt, Mary, no doubt, this was a match literally made in heaven. And can you imagine how excited Joseph was as he looked toward the future? A betrothal was a legally signed contract that if you separated during the betrothal period, even though the wedding ceremony had not yet taken place, and even though the marriage had not been consummated at this point, when you signed the betrothal, you were legally married. And to separate would have been cause for a legal divorce. And this is where we find ourselves in the context of this scripture. So number one, the betrothal. <coughs> what an exciting, what a thrilling, what a hope-filled season it was for Joseph and Mary. Now look with me at verse number 19. I've given you a profile of Zechariah. I've given you a profile of Gabriel the angel. I've given you a profile of Mary. And I've given you a profile of Nazareth. Now let me give you a short profile of the father of Jesus, Joseph. If you're going to take notes, I want you to note a couple of things. We know very little about Joseph's life. 
very little. Matter of fact, most of what we know is right here in verse number 19. We know that he was a just man. We know that he was a good man according to this verse. We know that he deeply cared for Mary. That even when he felt betrayed, even when Mary sat down to tell him, Joseph, I am pregnant. He didn't believe her. For he resolved to divorce her. But because he cared for her so much, he said, I'm not going to put her to shame. Even though he felt deeply betrayed, Joseph still loved and cared for her. What little we know about Joseph is what little the Bible tells us. We know he must have been a man of very few words, for there is not one direct quote of Joseph in the Bible. The Bible does not record one single word of Joseph. Isn't that fascinating? (coughs) The earthly father of Jesus, and yet Scripture doesn't record anything, not one word that he said. We know that Joseph, as we said, was a carpenter. The Bible tells us that he was a carpenter by trade. Again, that would have been a contractor possibly even what we would today call an architect. He was a builder. John, in his gospel, is only going to mention Joseph twice. That's it. Luke, in his gospel, is only going to mention Joseph five times. And Matthew, in his gospel, is only going to mention Joseph ten times. Short of that, We have no other detailed record of Joseph at all. We know that God spoke to him through dreams. In Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2, he has four dreams where angels slipped into his dreams. Where angels communicated with Joseph through dreams. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But we know so little about Joseph. We know that he went on to have many other children with Mary. (coughs) The Roman Catholic Church teaches that Mary was a perpetual virgin. I don't think that that is according to the scriptures. In Matthew chapter 13 and in Mark chapter 6, we see that Jesus had many brothers and many sisters. Well, where did they come from? In verse 18, it says that before Joseph and Mary came together... They were betrothed. And then in verse 24, the Bible says that Joseph obeyed the command of the angel of the Lord and married Mary. And then it says in verse 25 that he knew her not until her son was born. Again, do we need commentary on that? No, they went on to have many, many children. So that brings us to what happened to Joseph in the rest of the scriptures. Scholars believe that Joseph perhaps may have died an early death. The only other record we have at any age of Jesus of Joseph was the age of 12. But Joseph had to have lived long enough to have many other children with his wife, Mary. I find that very fascinating. We know so little about Joseph and we know nothing of his death. But the most important thing that we know about Joseph is found here in verse 19. 
<coughs> it says that Joseph was a just man. In other words, he was a good man. You know, that may not sound exceptional to us, but let me tell you, that's a very powerful phrase in the Bible. Joseph was a good man. I don't know about you, but more than I would want my legacy to be how much money I made or how many things I owned or how many accomplishments I had, what I would want my children to say about me, what I would want others to think about me is that he was a good man. This is the legacy of Joseph. This is the record of Joseph. We don't know how much money he made as a carpenter. We don't know what kind of home they lived in. But what we do know is that he was just and he was good. What a great testimony. What a great legacy to leave. But because he was a good man, even though he didn't believe Mary, he cared for her. Look at the next phrase. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, was unwilling to put her to shame. Isn't that something? You know, legally, because they were married, because they had a contract, you know, legally, he could have put her to death. And Joseph did not disobey the law here. See, it was up to the individual who was offended. And do you know what Joseph chose for Mary? He chose grace for her. Even though he was hurt, even though he was betrayed. I mean, can you imagine the conversation? See, if you remember in Luke 1, when Gabriel told Mary, you're going to conceive. Her question was, how? How can this be? And Gabriel said, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you are going to be overshadowed by the Most High and you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and call him Jesus. Now, can you imagine? Mary left. Remember, the angel Gabriel told her, your relative Elizabeth, the one who is called barren, who's in her old age, she's already six months pregnant. Right? Mary leaves, goes to the hill country, and stays three months with Elizabeth. Apparently until John was born. So when she comes back to Nazareth, and she's going to break the news to Joseph. How far along is she? About three months. Can you imagine the conversation? I imagine her sitting Joseph down and saying, there's something we need to talk about. Do you remember what the prophet Isaiah said? <laughs> Do you remember the Old Testament? Do you remember how God's going to choose someone to carry the Messiah. And you know what? According to verse 19, Joseph didn't believe a word of it. For he resolved to divorce her quietly. Friends, you know what that tells me? He felt betrayed. Have you ever been excited about your future? Have you ever had your plans, what you thought were established? 
Have you ever anticipated what lays ahead and you looked forward to the coming months and then all of a sudden it feels like God alters all of your plans? It feels like the rug has been pulled out from under you in life. It feels like everything you looked forward to, all the hopes you had were shattered just like that. I think that's exactly how Joseph felt. I think he felt hurt. I think he felt betrayed. I think he felt fearful. I don't think we can put into words the emotions that were going through Joseph's heart. So we see, number one, the betrothal. We see, number two, the betrayal. (coughs) Excuse me. We see, number three, the breakup. Look at the breakup here. He resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph's done. He's finished. He's throwing in the towel. He's calling it quits. But now look at verse 20. I love the way Matthew writes this. And as Joseph considered these things, what things? He already resolved to divorce her. He already doesn't believe her. So what's he considering? I think he's considering. See, I think Joseph really did know the scriptures. I think Joseph did know what the prophet Isaiah predicted. He just never dreamed it would be about him. I'm just Joseph. She's just Mary. We're just from Nazareth. We're poor. There's no way this makes sense. But you know what this tells? You know what Matthew, I think, is telling us? Joseph can't sleep. This is keeping him up at night. Verse 20. As he considered these things... Look what it says. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in his dream. See, Joseph finally drifted off to sleep. I think Matthew's telling us he can't sleep. Then he drifts off to sleep. And when he drifts off to sleep, the angel of the Lord slips right into his dream. Now, why did an angel appear physically to Zechariah, physically to Mary, And physically to the shepherds. But he appeared in the dream of Joseph. I don't know. Perhaps this was just God's way of communicating with Joseph. Because as I said, chapters 1 and chapters 2, Joseph is going to go on to have four dreams with angels in them. Now what have we learned in our series about angels? We've learned that they are supernatural beings. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits? See, this is why an angel can appear in human form. This is why they can appear in the air as they did with the shepherds, as they did at the ascension of Christ. This is why angels can appear in dreams, as they did with Joseph and as they did with Jacob in the Old Testament. Remember Jacob and Bethel, the house of God? Why can angels slip right into dreams? (coughs) Why can angels appear physically? Why can they appear in the spiritual realm? Why? Because angels are spirit beings. And what is their mission? What is their occupation? What is their role and responsibility? 
They are sent out by God. And see, here, God is going to completely alter Joseph's plans. <laughs> he's paid the dowry. No doubt he's worked for years for this moment. He's fallen in love with Mary, even when he's hurt, even when he's betrayed. He still loves her and cares for her. And God is completely altering the plans of Joseph. And God sends out an angel to explain to Joseph what is about to take place. Now look what he says. The angel is going to appear in his dream. Now let me say this. Don't, don't miss this. You know, the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament in our Bible is Malachi. And the first book of the New Testament is Matthew. When you and I read Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1, you know what you and I often forget? There have been 400 years of silence between the Old Testament closing and the New Testament opening. 400 years God has not communicated with humanity. 400 years of silence from God Almighty. And now it's as though God opens the curtains and we can peek into how God begins once again to communicate with humanity. And how does he do it? Through angels. Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds. Isn't that fascinating to you? It's fascinating to me. So an angel is going to tell him in verse 20. Look what the angel tells him. Do not be afraid, Joseph, to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. You know what I find interesting? Do you know how upset I think Joseph is? When the angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, he said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. When the angel appeared before Mary, he said, don't be afraid, Mary. But when the angel appeared to Joseph, you know what he says? Don't be afraid, Joseph. He says, don't be afraid about the situation. Don't be afraid to go forward with your wife. Don't be afraid. Trust Mary. Trust God. Trust his word. Oh, what a word for us today. What a word for your marriage. What a word for your home. What a word to parents today. Don't be afraid to face the unknown. Don't be afraid to face questions and doubts. Don't be afraid to face uncertainty. Don't be afraid of your financial future. Don't be afraid of the months and the years that lie ahead. Trust God. Amen. God would say the same to you and I. Trust God. Don't be afraid. This was the word to Joseph. And God sends an angel to say, Joseph, I know you're afraid. I know this is keeping you up at night. I know it feels like you're future is shattered. I know it feels like your plans are derailed. I know it feels like you have no hope and no future. But trust God. Whew. What a word. Amen. And he goes on to tell him. For what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. 
And he said, these things have to come past. This is what's been spoken by the prophet. This is what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. <coughs> Verse 22. <coughs> Forgive me. And I know not one of you women are praying for my man cold. I know it. I can feel the tension. Men, you'll pray for my man cold, won't you? We should do a small group man cold. I'll just see if you have everything you need. You can see if I have everything I need because our wives won't do it. Lord bless them. I'm not bitter or nothing, you know. I, you know. My wife gives me 48 hours to feel better. And then after that, no compassion. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm just thinking, I bet Mary wouldn't have done that. But anyways, whatever. I digress. Okay. <laughs> so, so the angel says, verse 22, and behold. See, there's our series title. Have you noticed how many times angels say behold? Luke 1, Matthew 1. And the angel said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive, and they, circle that word they, they shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22. Verse 23. I love this. And they will call him Emmanuel. God with us. You know, you, the most remarkable thing happened. Say, say amen if you're with me right now. Don't let me lose you on this. <coughs> this is a tremendous principle. When you and I step into God's plans. <laughs> See, God has a way of altering our plans, right? The Bible says in Proverbs that man plans his ways in his heart. But the plans of the Lord prevail. I may plan something for my life. Let me tell you, I never planned blindness for my life. I can tell you that. Not in a million years would I have planned that. But the ways of the Lord prevail. Huh. I, I don't know how God's going to heal my eyes. See, like Mary, I can't tell you how God's going to do that. I can't tell you when God, I, I have no answers, I have no details, but I know that the plans of the Lord will prevail. Amen. So I can plan my steps, I can plan my ways, but no, it's going to be the plans of the Lord that prevail. And you know what happens when you and I step into the plans of God? Even though ours are derailed, even though it may feel that ours are shattered, when you and I accept the plans of the Lord, we step into the plans of the Lord, you know what happens? It brings God's presence into our life. Emmanuel, God with us. God may have drastically changed the plans of your life, but don't be afraid because God is with you. Your life may not have turned out anything like what you thought it would. But don't be afraid. Because God is with you. 
You may not know what the next few months or the next few years hold for you. You may not know what it looks like for your job, for your health, or for your family. But let me tell you what the angel told Joseph. It's true for you. It's true for me. Do not be afraid. Why? Because Emmanuel, God, is with us. What a word from the Lord. Now, lastly, I want you to note, we've seen the betrothal. We know what that means now. (coughs) We know how that's a legal binding contract. It's a marriage contract. We've seen the betrayal. Joseph didn't believe her. And we see the breakup. He was going to divorce her quietly. And then we see the announcement from the angel. And the angel brings great clarity to Joseph. Now I want you to see the blessing of his obedience. Look at verse 24. And when Joseph awoke, he did as the angel commanded, and he took her as his wife. I love that verse. You know what? Joseph wasn't on the fence. He didn't didn't wait months to see how things were going to pan out. He didn't think about it a little bit longer. He didn't sleep on it for several other months or nights or weeks. No, he obeyed the Lord. Hey, my question today, will you obey God? Are you obedient to God in small things as well as large things? Does obedience mark your life the way it marked Joseph? Here Joseph was, he was a quiet man. Not one word is recorded in the scriptures. We don't know anything about his background. We, well, all we know is he was a son of David, his lineage. We know that he was a carpenter. We know he was a good man. And short of that, we don't know anything else. But let me tell you the most important thing about Joseph. He obeyed God. Is that the most important thing about you? Is that what marks your life? Is that you obey God? It can. Every single one of us can have that testimony. Every one of us can walk in obedience. Every one of us can get better at trusting God and saying, God, I don't have all the answers and I don't know what the next year is going to look like. I don't know how things are going to pan out. I don't know if it's going to work in my favor or not. I don't know. It's sink or swim, but I'm going to trust you and I'm going to obey you. Every one of us can walk in that obedience if you know the Lord. And now look at verse 25, my favorite part of the whole chapter. And he knew her not. Now that's important. You know what else this tells me about Joseph? Now come on, let's do the math. Mary's gone for three months to live with Elizabeth and Zechariah. She comes back to Nazareth after she's three months along. She breaks the news to Joseph Joseph resolves to divorce her. We don't know how much time lapsed there. I would think not long. And then the angel comes to Joseph while he's so perplexed and so troubled, he can't sleep at night. The angel comes, slips into his dream, says, no, I want you to marry her. Don't fear, trust God. And then it says, when he awoke, he took her as his wife. Hot dog. The man didn't let any grass grow underneath his feet. 
He obeyed God. But look at the restraint. Look at the self-control. But he knew her not until she had born a son. Why is that phrase so vital? Because Jesus Christ had to be virgin born. And do you know why he had to be virgin born? Because he had to be 100% man. In other words, of a woman's womb. But he had to be 100% God. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that so vital? Because, friends, not one human being in history, present, or in the future, not one human being can save himself nor another human being. It had to be the Lamb of God. It had to be the pure and the spotless and the sinless Lamb of God. And so Matthew inserts this all-important phrase by the Holy Spirit and says, He knew her not until she bore the Son. You know what that means? He didn't mess with God's plans. Joseph was a man of self-restraint. Joseph was a just man. He was a good man. Wow. And then, this is the last thing I'll show you. But he knew her not until she had born a son. And then he named him Jesus. Now this is special to me. (coughs) Again, understand the custom of the day. It was the father who named the child. Now, Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus. You know what Joseph did? He stepped into that role. You may be a family here today, and you're a blended family. Let me tell you something, men. You can be a Joseph to the children in your life. You can step up. And step in to that all-important role, just like Joseph did. Can we say amen to that? And Joseph had the privilege, he had the opportunity to name Jesus. Now, here's what I love. If you look at verse 22 and 23, the prophecy is, a virgin will conceive, she'll bear a son, and they shall call him Jesus. It was the father who named the child. You remember two weeks ago when we were studying Zachariah and Elizabeth? Zachariah is mute. Remember? Because he didn't believe God. And then John the Baptist is born. Eight days later, they take him to be circumcised. And that's when they legally register his name. <coughs> Excuse me. And on that eighth day, they ask Elizabeth, what's his name? She says, John. They go, uh, there's not a John in your family. That doesn't make sense. And they look to the husband and they say, what's his name? And he can't speak. And you remember what he does? He asks for a writing tablet. And he writes, his name is John. And when he confirms that, the Lord loosens his tongue, opens his mouth, and then he goes back and he can speak. 
Joseph, I think this is significant. They shall call his name Jesus. No, listen. He stepped into God's plan. Joseph stepped into obedience. And you know what God's reward was? He named him Jesus. I bet Joseph is renowned in heaven. And you know what? Especially men, we can walk in his footsteps. We can become good men like him. We can step into obedience like him. We can love and care for our wives just like Joseph did. Let's bow our heads today. We've seen Zachariah's doubt. We've seen Mary's faith. Today we see Joseph's obedience. Are you obeying God? Am I obeying God? Are there compartments in our lives where perhaps we've not welcomed God Almighty? Are there areas of our thought life, areas of our work, areas of our home, areas of our hobbies, areas of our tablets and our phones and our web browsers where the Holy Spirit is not welcomed. You can change that today. You can change that today. Thank you so much for listening to our broadcast today. I did want to take just a moment and mention our store. If you go to our website, awakenedtograce.com, just navigate to the store page and you're going to find music by all of our Awakened artists and plenty of books by Pastor Chad. Also, while you're on the website, you can view Pastor Chad's story about his blindness and what the Lord is doing through him through Awakened to Grace and through our church, Preaching Christ Church. Thank you so much for joining us today on Awakened to Grace.